you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you joining us today to the big, wonderful, intelligent podcast that we currently put on on the Chris Voss Show. For 14 years, we've been doing this, and uh, we'll just keep on doing it. How's that for fun? Uh, anyway, guys, be sure to go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss. Go to youtube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, and all those crazy places on the internet as well. Uh, we just recently launched uh, a new uh, vertical for artificial intelligence AI podcast with Chris Voss. You can find it at AI chrisvoss.com and uh, we've had a lot of great artificial intelligent authors on the show and leaders thought leaders over the years and we've uh, started porting some of that data over to that vertical and we're probably doing a lot more interviews of artificial intelligence so stay tuned as well uh, but as always we have the most brilliant minds the hottest new authors on the show uh, and we have another one on today he's the author of an amazing array of business books and smart uh, brilliant idea books, as you would say it. Uh, the uh, book we'll be talking about today is uh, Building Insanely Great Products. From Some Products Fail, Many Succeed. Uh, and this is their story. Lessons from 47 years of experience, including Hewlett-Packard, Apple, 75 products, and 11 startups later. Uh, this uh, came out in 2016. Uh, David Frayden is on the show with us today. We're going to be talking to him about his books and uh, what he's learned and what he's teaching. Uh, so we'll be getting into that and all the stuff that he has to share with us. He was classically trained as an HP product manager. You may have heard of Hewlett Packard. They've been around for quite some time, and uh, they do all the great stuff out there. Uh, then he was recruited by Apple and uh, to bring the first hard disk drive to PC to market and later became the Apple business unit manager and uh, have some problems with our, our little uh, screen here. He's the author of Building Insanely Great Products, Organizing and Managing Insanely Great Products, and widely published Successful Product Design and Management, now available on Amazon. Uh, at Apple, at the business unit manager, he was at the same level as Steve Jobs. He's trained companies such as Cisco on these topics worldwide, and his mission is to help products succeed. Welcome to the show, David. How are you? Good. Great. Thanks for uh, having me. There you go. There you go. And give us a .com or wherever you want people to find you on the interwebs, please. It's uh, the name of my company, Spice Catalyst, uh, one word, .com. There you go. And uh, so uh, let's talk a little bit about your history, your origin story. What got you into technology? What got you into HP and some of these different things? Uh, how did your life growing up influence you in this way? Well, I, when I went to the University of Michigan, I started the Flying Club there because they, at that time they didn't have one. And the uh, head of aeronautical engineering or aerospace engineering, uh, Wilbur Nelson, who was on Lyndon Johnson's uh, supersonic transport advisory committee, asked me if I'd be interested in organizing a nationwide student organization in support of the SST. 
which I did. And by the end of my uh, sophomore year in college, I had testified before Congress and I uh, had 40 chapters, about 15,000 students as members uh, across uh, the country. Uh, when the SST was shot down, it was shot down because it was uh, perceived as being anti-technology. Uh, Mm. Uh, this whole anti-technology feeling in the United States in the early 70s. Uh, technology was being blamed for all of our environmental uh, uh, problems, when in reality, uh, technology is nothing more than the organization of knowledge for practical purposes. And depending on how you use it, it could either be good or for bad, similar to the debate that we see today on uh, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. So that's what got me into technology. I branched out into an interdisciplinary technology program at Michigan, which included the business school, and uh, moved the headquarters after I graduated to Washington, D.C., lobbied Congress uh, successfully to build the space shuttle, lobbied Congress unsuccessfully on project independence so that we wouldn't be dependent upon uh, foreign oil and uh, coal. And uh, th that eventually led through Minnesota and running the Environmental Balance Association to being recruited by Hewlett Packard. And the, they then moved me out to uh, Silicon Valley. There you go. What was that like to, to lobby for the launch of the space shuttle or to have it built? It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I testified before the aeronautics and astronautics uh, committees, uh, wrote several studies uh, on the subject, uh, studied and surveyed student attitudes towards it. Mm. Um, and in fact, in one of my testimonies, uh, Tom Heppenheimer, who co-wrote my testimony with me, inserted as in the appendix a short story from Arthur C. Clarke uh, called Death of the Senator. And the notion in this story was that the uh, uh, United States senator had a weak heart, and they thought if they put him up into space for six months, his heart could recover. And as a result of that, <clears throat> uh, the United States had defeated its space shuttle in this science fiction story, and he had to go up into space on the dreaded Soviet Union's uh, sp space shuttle. Uh, and Arthur, who was living in Sri Lanka at the time, uh, saw that I had uh, inserted his story in the congressional record, uh, sent me a letter. That's when we used to have snail mail and said, Hey, I'm going to the American Association for Advancement of Sciences annual meeting in New York. Are you going to be there? And I wrote back, said, yes, I'm a member of the youth committee or the youth council for AAAS. And he invited me and took me out for lunch at the uh, National Press Club, of which he was a member. And uh, if people don't know who Arthur C. Clarke is, it was his uh, short story, The Sentinel, which was made at uh, 2001, uh, A Space Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is an interesting journey. In fact, a couple of days ago, I just posted uh, old videos I found of, of me visiting NASA. It was the uh, it was the Air Force Base in California when they flew the Endeavor out to be put in the museum and retired it. And uh, I got to go tour the SM-47. There's a video I have where I'm like literally with 20 feet of being able to touch the space shuttle on top of the 747. And we got to see it land which was amazing. And they also, and the, the F 16s, I think it is get also, uh, blew by us and gave us a run over whatever it's called a blow by. And, uh, the, uh, Vandenberg air force base down in Southern California. Yeah. 
and 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 so we got a full nasa thing it was we got to meet the guys who fly the crew so i mean i and i grew up with the whole romanticism behind the space shuttle you know that just watching it fly for the first time i didn't get to see it you know just watching on tv but you know the whole experience of it and 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 the arc of that whole thing was beautiful so that you then you go to hp hewlett-packard and tell us about your experience there well, I joined the uh, corporate PR department to help um, site new facilities around the country. Mm-hmm. And they hired me because I was, at the time, only one out of two environmental mediators uh, in the world, uh, helping resolve major uh, economic, environmental, and energy disputes, of which I did uh, a couple of, uh, including the reserve mining dispute. Uh, the uh, uh, one of the things I noticed is that um, there was some word processing available on the HP mini computer, and the only department in the entire company that knew how to type uh, was the PR department because we all had to know how to type in order to be journalists <laughs> and do public relations. Uh, so I integrated and brought in uh, HP Slate, which was the internally developed word processing program, and automated the 30 people uh, in the department. Uh, one of the nice things about Hewlett-Packard is that they allowed you to move horizontally, and I realized that what I had was all of the skill sets required for product success, or as they called it at the time, product management, Mm -hmm. which had evolved in 1938 out of Procter & Gamble, which was originally called brand management. So this Mm -hmm. whole career field of product management, where some people say you're the mini CEO of the product uh, developed. And I moved over to product management in the information network division and office systems, uh, brought several products to market. And that's when uh, Apple recruited me uh, to bring the first uh, hard disk drive to market uh, for the uh, HP, uh, excuse me, for the Apple III. Uh, And it was an enormous drive. It was five megabytes in size. (laughs) And it was... uh, uh, it was really, really cheap. It was only $3,600. Sure. And uh, nobody could understand how and why anybody would ever need that much space. Um, <laughs> and it, it did hold but 36 uh, floppy disk drives, 143K floppy disk drives. Ah. So after a little while, the uh, management noticed that I knew how to manage. And the uh, last uh, product manager for the, eight, the Apple III uh, had left the company. Uh, and the product manager before that is the guy that went off and started the electronic arts, a uh, fellow by the name of Trip Hawkins. And the product manager for the Apple III before that was a guy by the name of Steve Jobs. And I've uh, heard of him. Uh, yeah, and uh, they had screwed things up royally such that when the product was shipped uh, to the dealers, it was dead on arrival. Oh, and man. they found it was because they had used uh, such closely printed printed circuit board and the types of seating for the chips that the chips would work loose. And uh, the other thing they did is they released the product without any software, uh, uh, an amazing feat uh, that uh, only Steve Jobs could repeat again with the Macintosh a few years later. Uh, so they asked me to come over and be the Apple III group product manager, which I did, and they gave me three people, gave me full responsibility for the product line, but no authority. Uh, that was retained by all the other uh, departments and divisions uh, throughout the company. And then after I was on the job for about three weeks, uh, here I was. My uh, product was producing about $600 million a year in revenue wow. at a uh, 43% margin, uh, which is a pretty good 
group of profits, but Steve had it had it in his bonnet that he had to get rid of the Apple three and get rid of the Apple two, even though they were producing the profits for him, mm-hmm. because he felt that they were occupying uh, a portion of the market that he wanted to grab with his still yet unannounced and unshipped uh, Macintosh. Wow. So he convinced the executive committee to cancel the product line. And about a week after that, I got called into John Scully's office. And he said, uh, uh, we've got $20 million worth of piece parts, which would be about $250 million today, spread in our across our manufacturing facilities from Singapore to Cork Island to Dallas. What should we do about it? And I said, what do you mean, we, pale face? And he didn't laugh. So I had explained to him that back in the 50s, there was a television show called The Lone Ranger. And there's been some movies made since. And he had an American Indian uh, sidekick by the name of Tato. And they're galloping through the desert of Arizona. And they get surrounded by 10,000 yelling, screaming Indians. And The Lone Ranger turns to his American Indian side sidekick. I also have to say American Indian because when I tell this story to India's Indians. And my that third book, the Wiley book, is used for uh, executive training at uh, uh-huh. two of the major universities in, in India. So I have to say American Indians are discerned from uh, the Indian Indians. And uh, so Tato's asked, or he asked Tato, what should we do? Uh, and American Indian uh, pale face, uh, uh, sidekick says, what do you mean? We pale face, which was the slang name for the, for the white man uh, back then. <laughs> so Scully laughed and uh, the other people in the room laughed, which included a future president, Del Yoakum, the head of uh, future head of international for Microsoft, Ida Cole, uh, Joe Graziano, the future CFO of uh, Sun Microsystems, uh, later came back to Apple. And I said, look, you gave me all the responsibility for this product line, but no authority. And then I told him the story uh, of my friend Kelly Johnson, who ran the Skunk Works at uh, Lockheed, who I uh, talked to on the phone earlier uh, when, when I was supporting the supersonic transport. I told him the story of the IBM PC, I told him the story of the Alpha Computers uh, mini computer, where they all spun off an independent group for each of those products, like uh, Kelly Johnson Skunk Works could develop an advanced airplane and get it flying in 18 months, while the rest of Lockheed would take seven years. And wow. I said, give me the authority to uh, commensurate with the responsibility for the product line and we'll sell it. Uh, so the executive committee about a month later after I presented along with the help of uh, uh, a couple dozen additional people at Apple uh, put together an 80-page business plan. They approved it and they asked me to be the business unit manager. Uh, they didn't want to call me a general manager, so they had to call me a business unit manager or a bum. And uh, we had uh, full authority over the product line do anything we want. And we sold uh, enough Apple threes and enough profit to keep about a thousand to 1500 uh, Apple people employed uh, for the next uh, year and a year and a half. There you go. Did you go through the whole drama of uh, Steve Jobs leaving and Scully and stuff? No, I left uh, before he left and Mm -hmm. he left because uh, he no longer had the profits from my product line that he worked dutifully to, to kill. 
And then he uh, he was given in January of 85 the uh, Lisa, uh, which he went dutifully on to kill. And uh, the company was suffering uh, financially terribly. So that's why they laid off 1,500 people uh, in the early uh, in the 1985 time span. And Steve got fired uh, in mid-1985. Mm-hmm. There you go. And what... And what most people don't realize is that there were two Steve Jobs. There's the one that I knew back then, uh, who many people could not say flattering things about. And then after his last computer, which he uh, uniquely called Next, uh, failed, um, he sought out, I found in my research for my book, uh, Building a Sailing Great Products, uh, that he sought some mentorship from David Packard uh, mm-hmm. of Hewlett Packard. And Coincidentally enough, I used to handle Dave Packard's PR uh, for the board when I was in the corporate PR department there. And Packard uh, taught him you got to have empathy for the people you work with. You got to show you got to have some humanity, uh, and you got to have some consideration. And the Steve Jobs that came back to Apple uh, was a completely different person, having gone through these uh, repetitive uh, failures over the previous uh, ten or so, so years. And one of the things that uh, uh, Dave Packard taught him is, is when you have a downturn in the economy, that's when you double down on your your product development, your research and development. Because HP had gone through six of these recessions since its founding in 38, and they came flying out of the box and overcame their competition very quickly because they didn't cut back on their R&D. And in fact, that's exactly what Steve did in 2007, 2008 during the Great Recession. And uh, by the time he uh, had uh, retired because of his uh, cancer in 2011, uh, Apple was well on its way to becoming the most uh, valuable and, for that matter, admired company in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at how much the world changed with the iPhone and the advent of bringing social media and so many things uh, with what he did with that. And the stories are kind of, and he was still an asshole. I mean, <laughs> my friend, Andy Grignon helped build the iPhone and he has a great fuck chop story. I think he stole it publicly, but I, I, on movies and stuff now, but, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, and I think it was in what, Walter Isaacson's book. Um, right. It, people read it and went, Holy shit. Wasn't that nice of a guy, but you know, I mean, <laughs> there you go. Uh, but at least, uh, you know, he, he learned a bit more. So uh, you've written how many books so far? Well, it's three uh, major books, Building a Sailing Great Products, which covers the five keys to product success. Uh, it's about uh, almost 200 pages. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote a book for managers of uh, product managers. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I prefer to call them product success managers because that explains what they do a lot better than the term product manager. And plus, you don't uh, want to be product failure manager either. So product success manager, well, probably. <laughs> yeah, that, that way you can ensure it because uh, many times I've gone to a party and I've been talking to a beautiful woman and she says to me, what do you do? Sometimes they ask. Usually they don't. And I said, well, I, uh, I'm a, a product manager. She says, what, is, what do you do? And I said, well, I try to figure out what it is the customer wants to do. I do market research. I do competitive research. I write personas about who I want to target the the product to uh, i then uh, do product uh, positioning in order to position the product in the mind of, of the marketplace and with that all with all that information then i can put together a product plan specifications for what the product needs to accomplish a distribution strategy a sales strategy a, uh, a pricing strategy a support strategy and plan 
And then when the product is introduced, I pass all this over either to a product marketing manager or I continue and take the product to market. And usually about an hour before I got finished with saying that, she has already turned and walked away. So uh, that's why I've, I've suggested we change the title to product success manager. Uh, mm. Otherwise, I, uh, most product managers will never get married and have the requisite 2.5 kids. I wonder if that makes that much of a difference by saying success in, in pickup game. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Works all the time. Does it really? All right. Oh, yeah. I got, then, I got then you show your watch, now. you know, that. Whatever, show your car, whatever the hell. Uh, so there you go. So you know this uh, the big book we you want to talk to me about the building insanely great products. You talk about how some products fail, many succeed, and you have lessons from over forty seven years of experience uh, and seventy five products and uh, eleven startups. Do you want to tease out maybe some of your concepts or ideas or maybe stories that you tell in the book? You know, the five keys uh, max matches into the mnemonic of SPICE, uh, the company's name is SPICE Catalyst. Mm -hmm. uh, the S stands for strategy. You need to have a product market strategy. And all the things that I had mentioned just a few moments ago that I would have been telling somebody at a party, what I do is the components of a product market strategy. Unfortunately, about 35% of the products that uh, brought to market each year representing about a half a billion to a trillion dollars in waste, uh, they go to market without a product market strategy. Huh? Uh, you mean key, you're supposed to have a strategy? Yeah. Uh, and by the way, the word strategy means the same as a plan, and a plan means it's a strategy, not to uh -huh. be confused. Mm -hmm. uh, the P stands for a process. You need a repeatable process in order to develop and bring your product to market. Uh, one of my clients had five successive product failures, and they said, I asked them, did you have a process? And they said, no. And the VP of product management there said, if you don't have a process that's repeatable uh, that everyone buys into, then everyone blames everybody else because the product failed. And that is, uh, it creates a culture of failure, a culture of blame, of finger pointing if you don't have a process. And, the, and they reach a point where they're they're always trying to, uh, you know, make sure it doesn't get assigned to them. There's like a dodgeball of like, uh, it's his fault. <laughs> or they have a culture of blame where if uh, yeah. something goes wrong, they figure someone out to find someone to blame. Sort of like the uh, the Russian armed forces right now. Uh, every time they have a defeat, they fire people, and they they change the uh, the heads of uh, each of the uh, departments there. Uh, the I in SPICE is have the information that you need in order to make the decisions. Frequently, these kinds of decisions are made by uh, you know, off the top of your head. I remember um, a few years ago, Reed Hoffman, who was the founder uh, uh, of uh, Netflix, uh, was, was sitting in his hot tub with a friend, and he decided he was going to um, discontinue the shipping of uh, uh, DVDs, uh, go all online, and uh, increase the price by like 30 or 40 percent and the other guy in the hot tub said no that's not a very good idea and uh, but that was the extent of his market research which was kind of silly because he knew better yeah. uh, and then of course for people that uh, are not from california where i am in silicon valley that's all we do is sit in our hot tubs all the time is that uh, okay. and uh, yeah that's california and um uh, so they, they went to market uh, with that breakup, and then they also promised to deliver uh, video games by DVD, and they never did that. Yeah. So I canceled. 
my it was sort of a disloyalty to the customer. He didn't understand what it is that the customer wants to do. In other words, he made decisions off the uh, uh, you know off the top of his head. Uh, probably not too dissimilar to the decisions Elon Musk has been doing for the last six months on Twitter, uh, which is uh, I mean, without doing the market research, without asking people. The C in Spice means the customer. Hmm. And there it's built on the notions that others had developed called outcome-based innovation from Harvard or from Synergym uh, jobs to be done. And I say it's understanding what it is that your customer wants to do. Mm-hmm. Why do they want to do it? Where do they want to do it? How do they want to do it? What's standing in their way? What's important? How satisfied are they with the current solution? And mm-hmm. if you understand what it is the customer wants to do, you realize what people have been saying all along. You can't ask the customer what they want because if they knew what they want, they will have identified the problem of what it is that they want to do. And they would have also identified the solution to that problem, which is a little bit much for most people. A mm-hmm. uh, classic example of this is Henry Ford went out and asked people when he was thinking about the building the Model T, would you like to have a car? And, of course, most people had no idea what a car was. And they said, no, I don't want a car. I want a faster horse. Yeah. So he should have been asking questions about what is it that you want to do. Uh, or he could observe and see people hitting their horses with a, you know, a stick in order to get it to go faster uh, and get them and them and their carriage if they're carrying cargo uh, from point A to point B faster. And then you get the old notion of big data and uh, the whole concept that uh, Google and Facebook is based upon, which came out of computer science school at Stanford called Wisdom of the Crowds. Hmm. The crowds are so smart that if they go into a theater and a fire breaks out, they all try to get out through the same door all at the same time, which never works and a lot of people get killed uh, as a result of the wisdom of the crowds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if back in the uh, when Henry was thinking about his uh, Model T, if the internet existed, he would have gone to the internet and looked up how many people were searching for the keyword car or the keyword <laughs> automobile. And the results would have come back at zero because no one had any idea that those things exist. So wisdom of the crowds only works when there's a lot of known quantity uh, going around, not uh, like an, and the fire escape kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the negative benefit of not understanding <clears throat> what it is your customer wants to do results in all of this uh, fake news uh, circulating in social media. Mm-hmm. And people tend to like a story if it's negative or if it creates fear 10 times as much as something that's positive. And that explains all of this going viral. And why back in 2014, uh, a, a Russian general said, we have figured out a way to weapon, weaponize the internet. And mm-hmm. that's exactly the campaigns that they've run of uh, fake news and creating fear and division in 30 elections around the world up until 2016. And they continue to do that today. There you go. So understanding your customer is very, very important. And then lastly is your employees need to have amongst all of them and your consultants 130 competencies or skill sets in order for the product to be successful. Wow. And therefore, the training should be provided uh, to the product managers and the other staff 
to be able to do many of the things that I mentioned earlier, like the market research, the competitive research, the pricing strategy, and so forth. There you go. So is it is it always a guarantee that if you build and sing the great products, they will succeed? Or have you seen examples where sometimes, I mean, no matter how great the product is, it still fails? And is there a reason why? If it's built on understanding what the customer wants to do, mm-hmm. how they want to do it, why they want to do it, where do they want to do it, uh, what's important about it, how successful the current solution is, then the chances of product success are extremely high. Mm-hmm. A classic example of that, by the way, nothing that humans do today uh, is any different than what cavemen or cave women did uh, thousands of years ago. Yeah, I know. I've seen classic, a classic inter, uh, intervention uh, or, or innovation is that uh, uh, when a caveman wanted to communicate with other cave people, uh, they grabbed a chunk of charcoal and they drew or wrote on the cave wall. Uh, but since they couldn't take the cave wall to the next cave to show their friends, uh, they came up with slates. And then they noticed that their hands got dirty anytime they were writing. So they wrapped the charcoal in wood and they called it a pencil. Mm. Then they noticed when the pencil wore down and they had to constantly sharpen the thing, they invented the fountain pen with the uh, a quill from what a duck or something like that. And then they noticed they kept spilling the oil or the ink on their paper or running out of ink. So that's when they, uh, they invented the ballpoint pen. <laughs> and then the mechanical typewriter came along, electric typewriter and word processor. And now we can dictate uh, to our computer. Uh, so all of those things convey the solving of the same do. What is it that you want to do? You want to put your words or pictures down on something that someone else can see and uh, use it as a form of communication. And each of those steps that I just mentioned are forms of innovation, doing something mm-hmm. better, doing something faster, doing something with better quality, or like in the example, the Apple Watch, which does nothing more than tell you what time it is, uh, doing it with style. And by the way, it can do a whole bunch of other things, not only that, but monitor your, your health and your uh, exercise. There you go. You know, I, I was looking at the cover of your book, and it's really cool. It's got uh, a bicycle with square wheels uh, next to a bicycle with round wheels that clearly uh, – works better the one with round wheels but uh, i was thinking most of the time most of the time there's uh i don't know if you've seen this video but on tiktok there's or youtube or something i don't know where it's from but i saw it on tiktok but there's actually somebody who took square wheels for a bicycle and what they did is they basically made like a track tread like a tank tread that goes over the squareness there's about i don't know it's a small space there but it's a right. it's a track tread that goes around the square of the tire and so basically he's made a square tired bicycle work it rolls like a tank basically it's kind of funny to well, see yeah the uh the advantage of the square wheel is you don't need any brakes that's true yeah there you go <laughs> you know i remember my friend used to call me when the iphone first came out and he was a big apple dude and he uh you know i had i had all the latest phones but i didn't have the apple iphone i remember when it first came out he used to call me all the time just gush on it he's like this is going to change the world and then blah 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 and i'm like i don't know i can you send email i can do that on my old blackberry you know whatever and uh he's like you gotta see the phone you gotta i, I just didn't get it and when i got a hold of my first iphone um 
I was blown away. I, I saw all the magic and, and the beauty of it. And what was interesting to me is, you know, like you were talking about before where, you know, people from Henry Ford, the consumers didn't know they wanted a car. You know, I don't think a lot of people knew that's what they wanted in an iPhone and all the different things that were packed into it. Uh, you know, they, they crammed everything into that phone. Um, and, uh, un until they really saw it. Right. I mean, sometimes consumers just have to kind of see and experience the beauty of the product to, to know that they really want it maybe. Exactly. Uh, but those of us that try to study and observe what it is that people do will recognize the brilliance of that device. Mm -hmm. uh, an example of that is, um, <clears throat> I was driving on highway 101 North to San Francisco and in those days, I had a Motorola flip, flow, a flip phone uh, and uh, a pager. And my pager went off on my belt, and I'm doing about 65 miles an hour uh, in the middle lane. And I take the pager off my belt, holding it with one hand, and I see the number on there. And now i got to transfer the number from the, from the pager to the phone. So I pick up the phone with my other hand, and they realize nobody is driving the car. Yeah. Well, now, if you get a text message and you have phone mounted on your windshield or something or a, a, you know, a holder, you just touch the number and it calls it. Yeah. So he, what uh, the iPhone did is it combined a telephone. And by the way, the first iPhone was a lousy phone. You could barely yeah. hear the other guy. And the speakerphone was never loud enough to hear anything. Uh, it's gotten a lot better now where you can just use it for your music speaker uh, uh, in your car. And uh, um, so they combined a pager with a phone with an iPod so you could take your music around. And the concept that the thing was originally introduced for the iPhone was the Internet in your pocket. Yeah. And as a result of that, we have things like Uber and Lyft um, and other such uh, services uh, that were never possible before uh, the smart iPhone uh, came about and all it did was combine a whole bunch of things that people do that they really want to do and the current solution like driving with no hands on the wheel uh, was not quite satisfactory yeah it's an amazing story what goes into that phone even when Steve Jobs announced it and I think that story has been made public now um, as, to, as to how uh, I mean they, the, the phones were working and they they had multiple phones up under the desk, and it was it was interesting how much they were selling that phone. And my friends were in the audience, just going, "That phone's going to fail. We're all going to be out of jobs tomorrow." <laughs> and it was just it was a it was a wild story. And and then he sold the phone. I think it was about six months before it ever got put out, and it still wasn't even working right at the time he 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 announced it, which was crazy. Yeah, and if I recall, uh, he came out with it at like eight hundred dollars, and I bought one. And about six weeks later, he dropped the price to six hundred dollars. Yeah, which that's that's the way. Thank you very much for your loyal first uh, customers that are entrepreneurs and will go out and buy the first greatest thing and get slapped in the face like that. But then mm -hmm. they said, "Okay, we'll give you a free copy of the next Mac operating system or a credit or something uh, for." Two hundred dollars worth of apps in the uh, in the uh, app store or something like that, which is great on the surface. But being a former product manager, I knew that's <laughs> not what they were paying for. So you know, they gave me like forty dollars for something I paid two hundred dollars for. 
Uh, and that's because they hadn't done the market research on the price to find wow. out what the right price point should be. And uh, I teach in one of my classes uh, that uh, has been taught at, at Cisco Worldwide uh, for the last 10 years in terms of pricing strategy and how to figure out what your customer would perceive as the value proposition or their return on the investment. And if you do that analysis, the $600 price point turns out to be the right thing. So you, Steve screwed up on his pricing strategy at that point in time. What do you, have you ever done any commentary wrote in the books about, you know, how Steve was really anal about, I think anal is probably the best word. You know, I mean, even just worrying about the shade of yellow on certain icons and stuff, the, the meticulous nature of his craft work and the, Hardware of the phone and software? Um, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but uh, like three days before the Macintosh was introduced, this would be in mid-January 1984, he decided on a whim that he didn't like the color of the walls in the Mac factory at Fremont. So he had the entire factory uh, repainted in the color in which he liked. Yeah, he, he was a, a bit um, consumed by that. But one of the aspects of his attention to that level of detail was the uh, or is the customer experience mm -hmm. uh my fellow uh, product manager at apple mike connor who is responsible for the apple II product line told me the story that um uh, steve had taken an apple II home and was extremely frustrated getting the thing out of the box uh, but rather than being diplomatic and coming in to see Mike, who was responsible for that experience, he threw the box at him and said, you got a shitty out-of-the-box experience. Fix it. And, and if you notice now that, you know, that notion is infused all of Apple. When you buy an Apple product, uh, probably about a third of the joy of buying the product is going into the Apple store mm -hmm. and not having to stand in line at a cash register. Uh, and, uh, and another third of it is when you get home and that's taking it out of the box, like it's a little uh, jewel and it's a little gift to yourself or someone that gave it to you. Uh, so that whole out of the box experience is something that others in the industry uh, are beginning to copy. Uh, we talk about that as the total customer experience. There you go. Yeah, I, I remember when, uh, you know, that became a big thing, the experience of unboxing an iPhone. And we've been unboxing and reviewing products for, what, 13 years now, 14 years, something like that. Uh, it's starting to become a blur. And so a lot of a lot of the products we would get started mimicking that Apple experience of the unboxing and, you know, making it intuitive and, and everything else. And then intuitiveness actually became a part of our whole review uh, sort of experience, you know, how well can a consumer just pick up the phone without reading the instructions and just intuitively bond with that type of product. And I think that's an important factor. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of funny because I, I've heard of a video. I haven't seen it. Others have told me about it where some teenagers are trying to learn how to use a rotary phone. Yeah. That's a great video. You got to see it. And I, I hear that they, they're pushing the, the hang-up button under the handset in an effort to reboot the phone. you you got to watch the video. It's epic. I think he offers them like five bucks or something if they can figure out how to make a call on it. And they, <laughs> it's, like watching, it's like watching the monkeys try and figure out technology in 2001 Space Odyssey or something. It's, it, they're, they're just dumbfounded. And there's well, another there's another great one where a young girl is uh, his, his father... Her father uh, hands her a record, uh, and she's trying to figure it out. What, like, uh, what sound comes out of this? 
Well, I think in those cases, the adoption was such that one person showed another person. Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, when I was in school, this would be probably 72, the automatic teller machine came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you could figure out how to use the ATM, you got money. If you couldn't figure out how to use the ATM, you're, you're hosed, you know, because yeah. the bank's not open. And in those early days, uh, the banks would stage people sitting on stools next to the, uh, the ATM machine for like six months showing people how to use it until enough of them learned how to, how to get their money out of the machine. So it was a great incentive, even though the user interface was terrible. Yeah. Uh, another example of that um, is back in uh, up until about the mid uh, 2000 and, uh, 2000s, um, I was on, I used Windows machines. I used to have two Windows machines on my desk because I did a lot of video editing and multimedia editing, and the thing would always crash. Which uh, me, so I would be rebooting one computer while I was working on the other computer, and uh, usually the Microsoft position, you know, assume the Microsoft position, which was rebooting, uh, and then um, I switched to a to an Apple, and uh, I had a problem, and I called Apple up, and they solved the problem. Um, previous oh. to that, I, I would call Microsoft up, and uh, being a product manager, I tend to find bugs. And uh, they, wa they wanted to charge me $200 to tell them about the bug that I found. Wow. Well, well now if you call Apple up, they, they just help you up. And uh, uh, I understand Microsoft is no longer doing that. And uh, I had the same issue with Comcast uh, where my uh, internet kept going down. And um, there was no way they wouldn't let me talk to the network people at being a, a, a trader uh, Cisco, I know a little bit about networks, mm -hmm. and the only thing I could do is uh, I had uh, 20 service calls uh, to come out and fix it, and I figured that by the time I get to the 20th or so, somebody would hand the manager a spreadsheet that says, look, it's costing us $150 for each one of these calls. This guy's only paying that a year for internet or something like that, and then they'll go out and try to figure out what's wrong, and sure enough, I found out by hacking into the modem that the uh, uh, switch near me was was flooded every time it rained the internet would go down because the thing was uh, the uh, the interference on the network was going up but they wouldn't let me talk to the network people but today uh since i've heard some apple people left apple and went to uh xfinity or comcast their uh, service is great uh, and, and very uh, uh, customer oriented, focusing on the entire customer experience. Yeah, it, it's really important. I mean, I've had the, I've had, I call it extortion. I've had the uh, big uh, cable company say to me, "Well, we'll send someone out to look at your problem, but we're going to charge you unless we find a problem." And it's kind of like a, it's an interesting stick uh, sort of thing. It's almost like. Hey, why don't you go away with your little problem that you're having with our company and service, uh, or we're going to charge you, but maybe you just won't call us and complain anymore if we threaten to charge you. It's it's a real interesting sort of dynamic. Well, that's, about it. that's a result of the incentives in that organization where they view each activity as a cost center or as a money-making center. Mm. So a lot of companies view customer service, customer support, as an expense rather than as Apple views it as part of the total customer experience. Yeah. And since and there's no one, uh, there, there are no independent 
profit and loss centers within Apple. It's the entire company. That's true. Everybody works together to make sure that you have a delightful customer experience, uh, in their words. And that's part of the Apple values is uh, to mm -hmm. provide that kind of service, uh, which Apple adopted back around 1977, 1978. Mm -hmm. And that's the, when Steve came back uh, to Apple, he said, Part of Apple's problems over the previous 10 years is it lost track of its values. Mm. And then when uh, Tim Cook took over Apple, the first thing he talked about at length was the importance of Apple values being in all the corners of the company. And that meant making sure that your customer is satisfied. And they, they really built, you know, I, I've had friends that are like, oh, I'd like to maybe have an Android phone. I'd like to maybe have a PC, but the ecosystem, Chris, they always talk to me, you know, about the ecosystem, what you talked about with the, where it's, it's congruent across all spaces and all product lines. And they're like, Chris, you know, that the whole ecosystem, you know, my mail's there, my, you know, this is there, this is there, the family's hooked up there. Uh, all my, you know, stuff on the phone goes to the computer, you know, the whole thing uh, between your iPad and, and all the other toys, you know, is all there. And in fact, now I, I think Tim Cook, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, has just kind of expanded that whole ecosystem to where, you know, they have Apple TV and so many, I mean, there's a million different services you can pay for now if you really want to. And most people do. Yeah, he has, I forget what he calls it, congruence or something like that, mm -hmm. where you could be doing work on your Mac and switch the work to your iPad uh, as you leave home mm -hmm. and then switch it to your iPhone. Or uh, you may be watching something on your I iPhone and you uh, get home, you can throw it up on the screen of, uh, of your, your home TV. Uh, that full concept of integration comes from that concept of providing uh, total customer satisfaction. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, let's seize out a little bit of uh, artificial intelligence uh, talk, if you want. Any, anything you see on the forefront or in the current state of AI technology? Have you tested out the new Jet Chat GPT and have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I've played with it a little bit. Uh, for example, I wrote in there, who is David Fraden? And it came <laughs> back with a pretty good bio, except they, they say I worked at Sun Microsystems. Well, I didn't oh. work there. I, I was a Sun Microsystem dealer or reseller, mm -hmm. so I didn't quite get that difference. And there was a couple of other errors on that. And then what's the uh, the AI from uh, Microsoft uh, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I think. And, I know. Uh, he, he, auto he or she automatically came up as a contact of mine at Skype. So it's kind of strange you go to a communication tool to ask a uh, ai chat thing but anyway it's more convenient than trying to find the web page like for chat uh whatever so i put in there who is david Frey? and it came back with the perfect uh, uh bio and essentially it regurgitated what you used for your introduction uh, <laughs> which of course is out there a number of different places so it didn't do too bad of a job um and I, I read uh, Elon Musk's and Steve Wozniak's statement that, hey, we ought to slow this thing down and figure it out first before we introduce it. But it didn't give any reasons that I could hang my hat on or could remember. Uh, so I think there are places where AI can help because what it does is it um, categorizes and digests all of the information on the Internet including the fake stuff that the Russians and uh, 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 Donald Trump are putting out there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Tucker uh, Carlson. 
so it, it could easily take that uh, those lies uh, and not check them and spit them back, and it could become truth. So that's one of the dangers. It's another way, it's an alternative to uh, wisdom of the crowds. And I talked about the problems of the wisdom of the crowds of the past. AI has the same thing. Um, and then, of course, we've seen these chatbots uh, for some time as, uh, as chat help. Mm. For example, if you go to Xfinity's website, and you ask it a question, it's AI that comes back and answers your question. Mm. Well, if you go there and you simply say, I want to talk to a human being, it comes back and says, I don't understand what you're asking. See, um, they've already they, eliminated us. They're planning. I can yeah, tell. exactly. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll pass you on to another chat bot right in, in a few minutes. <laughs> My chat bot uh, manager? I, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it was funny because um, uh, I want... Uh, uh, Fox News gets a lot of their money from subscriptions that are required by your cable provider. So, and that's true of the other channels, MSNBC and so forth. So, uh, I think two thirds of Fox's income is, is from that. And I really don't like the money I'm paying for Comcast going to Fox, which I never watch. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I wanted to contact them and say, hey, I would appreciate it if you make it optional. And if you want, watch fox pay for it separately don't charge me and everybody else for something that some of us don't want well uh there's no email on their website so you can send them an email mm -hmm. uh there's there's not really a phone number all there is is support so i went to the support chat and i typed in there uh they said what do you what do you, you know what is your issue well i'm not having internet problems but you know, I had to pick an issue, and then I sent them a little message saying, hey, let, let people decide if they want Fox. Don't make everyone pay for it. And it just sat there and spun and did absolutely nothing. So um, companies need to think about those things that are out of the box and provide for solutions uh, uh, that are out of the box, not just through AI or through wisdom of the crowds. Definitely. Do you have any uh, dystopian uh, outlook? I mean, you've been in technology for a long time. You've seen the arc of it. Do you have any dystopian thoughts of uh, you know uh, AI and maybe we're all just all going to be end up on the show Terminator? Possibly. Uh, I just saw that um, the Ukrainians have come up with uh, it's I think it's some kind of a game controller that they can use to control a machine gun remotely. Really? So they can they can post a machine gun. Um, at a, uh, a guard place, and then remotely, uh, they'll be safe. So, yeah, I think we're probably going to see, uh, we already see intelligent uh, 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 drones uh, flying around. The key question is whether or not they will be allowed to decide themselves uh, to shoot and kill, or there has to be some human involved. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, the humans involved in whether or not to shoot and kill uh, haven't always been perfect as we've seen in Afghanistan and mm. in uh, Yemen. Yeah. Uh, so in those corner cases, which are very important to people's lives, there's needs a, a lot more work to be done and some kind of regulation to make sure it, it occurs. It's not clear to me that's going to come from Congress, especially this Congress where one party is the party of fear and the other party is trying to do some governing uh, to come up with anything intelligent.
Yeah. And it, 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 and it's funny to watch the politicians who are really old and they don't understand some of this technology. <laughs> it's, it's if you ever watch their things, you know, it, it, to me, it's a, it's an interesting space and I'm seeing so many people do uh, so many innovating things with it. I, I think the next time I'm going to get on chat GPT, I'm going to ask it, uh, I don't like your answers. Let me talk to your manager. <laughs> I'm going to go full Karen on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then you'll find um, a bullet coming through the plate glass. Yeah, that'll probably put me on a kill list. Black Hell causes show up over my house and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then it'll play the. Hey, I, I, anytime I hear her talk about AI, I have the Terminator music going through my head. Uh, so dun, 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 dun. And I think of the big. Uh, when, when Siri first came out, uh, and you had asked Siri for directions, and for forty years I've been trying to get away from a woman giving me directions ah! while I'm driving. And as soon as Siri comes out, I'm back to a woman giving me directions when I'm driving. There you go. Uh, I think so you can change I, I the voice, really, though, can you? Or can you? Yeah, about three, four years ago, I put it in English Butler. Yeah. I know ways you could put in Samuel Jackson, which made it very interesting in the Ways program. <laughs> <laughs> you had Samuel Jackson telling you how to drive around town. I was surprised there weren't more swear words, but uh, you know. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, anything you see on the future horizon for product innovation and and uh, future changes that you see that might change the landscape, or are we just going to continue on with that caveman sort of attitude? Well, there's probably uh, close to 20 major things that are going on hmm. that are going to drive change and innovation uh, in the future. Uh, I call it the, the perfect storm. Hmm. Uh, one is AI. Another is um, uh, pandemics and epidemics. Another is um, uh, robotics. Another hmm. is 3D printing. Another is climate change. Um uh, another is cloud computing, mm -hmm. uh, dispersed uh, services, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, another is uh, biogenetics and uh, medical technology. Mm -hmm. uh, we're real close to uh, uh, breaking down uh, cancer and coming up with a custom cure based upon the type of cancer that you have and overriding this long-term preoccupation about cancer uh, is different because it's in different parts of the body. No, it's not. Um, but we can do the genetic sequencing on that. Um, I just made a contribution a couple of years ago when my uh, pet cat passed away to the University of uh, California, Davis uh, Veterinary uh, School of uh, Medicine and Research. Mm -hmm. And um, part of the money is being used to uh, test the genome uh, sequencing of dogs. Mm. We know so little about dogs uh, and then uh, if it works there, and then some specialized treatment of those dogs, for which my contribution is helping pay for the uh, the testing works, that will be transferred uh, to cats uh, in order to help uh, uh, save their lives and give them better medical treatment, rather than just copying the treatments that were developed for uh, humans. There you go. Well, this is important because we need cats and dogs to stay alive because dogs chase cats and thereby goes uh i don't know <laughs> it's a joke yeah and, and when ai has killed off all the humans they need to have the capability to, to live longer than uh, 10 to 15 years yeah i have huskies i understand dogs very well and uh, <laughs> they don't understand me which they ignore me most of the time someone should i should ask chat gpt to figure out why siberian huskies have a mind of their own i actually i know but uh i should i should be like how come they don't listen to me half the time and 
and they'll probably he'll probably reply or they'll reply. I don't know who it is. Uh, teenagers. I don't even know if ChatBT has pronouns. We should find out, or they should find probably ha- probably has some cats in the. Uh, <laughs> They're probably it's probably run by a dog actually, uh, <laughs> but but there you go. Um, no, I I think that's beautiful. You did that. I you know I lost a dog to cancer. Uh, had it hospice care for about a year and a half. Uh, and uh, and and did that whole route. And cancer to me is you know, and and also in humans and every place else, cancer is just uh, such a horrific thing. It's my number one enemy. Um, next to I don't know. Uh, there's a joke there somewhere. I have nothing next next to fat molecules, I suppose, because I'm wearing most of them. <laughs> but uh, anything more you want to tease out or talk about, Dave, before we go? Uh, and uh, of course, we want people to pick up your books. Yeah, feel free to uh, check out my books. You can search for my name, David Fraden, on uh, Amazon. I come up as an author. Uh, there's no fake Dave Fraden's with a blue mark there yet. And uh, uh, and then if you want to get in touch with me, uh, my contact information is on uh, my website, uh, spicecatalyst.com. There you go. Uh, it's been fun to have you on, David. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for uh, putting up with me. Oh, it's been wonderful. I mean, the stories you have are just astounding. We could sit here for hours and do this. But uh, what you're always welcome to come back, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thanks to my audience for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, all the crazy places on the internet. Uh, building insanely great products. Some products fail, many succeed. This is their story. Lessons from 47 years of experience, including Hewlett Packard, Apple, 75 products, and 11 startups later. You can order wherever fine books are sold and David's other books. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time. That should have a-